0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. We are continuing today in the next to last message in this series that Pastor James spoke about earlier called The Secret Battle of Ideas. About God, and this you've noticed maybe that this series has kind of been topical in nature, where we're not really going through breaking down a Bible passage, you know, word by word, verse by verse, that sort of thing. But we're looking at key topics and analyzing them through a, we hope, thoroughly biblical view of the world, a Christian worldview. And I hope you've noticed uh, that we've been looking at some of life's biggest questions. We've been looking at things like am i am I loved? Why do I hurt? Does my life have meaning? And today, we're going to look at why can't we get along? Now, these are very personal questions, aren't they? They're personal questions because every person asks them. We all do, whether we say them out loud or not. We ask these questions, and they affect us on a very personal level. And that'll be the same with our subject today of why can't we get along? Um, I think each person, all of us, um, one thing that we can all agree on is that we live in a very divided world, do we not? We can we can agree that when we look around, we see that we don't agree on very much. Um, it's, it's usually divided. It's like it's, it's the rich versus the poor, or men versus women, or black versus white, or old versus new. And there, there's really not an area in life where we look around and don't see division or conflict Of some kind. And it really does feel like, at least to me, maybe maybe you can agree or disagree by nodding or, or shaking your head. It seems to me like the kind of one of the pervading moods in the society is us versus them. Doesn't it feel that way? It's like an us versus them. Why is that? Why is there so much animosity and conflict and contention between us? Why can't we get along? I'm glad you asked. We are going to be uh, talking about that today. As we've learned in our series, you know, there are plenty of competing voices that seek to answer these questions of, you know, am I loved? Why do I hurt? Does my life have meaning? And there is true of our topic today. Why can't we get along? There are plenty of voices that seek to answer that question. Um, you know, this, uh, this idea of conflict affects us most deeply when it damages our personal relationships, and that's where we see the most. It seems that, the, that we hurt the people we love the most, and the people that we love hurt us the most more than, more than other people, um, but it's also disruptive not only in a very personal one-to-one level, but it's disruptive on a societal level because when we experience conflict with one another, it spills out everywhere else, does it not? We've seen that in our own lives. Sadly, I think most of us can say, yes, that's, that's actually true. Think about some of the things that we have personal conflict with one another about. Maybe these days we get into conflict with one another, one another over religious or ethical or political views. Maybe we argue with our neighbors because one of our dogs got in the other person's yard. And you, you all know what dogs do in people's yards. Uh, that's not in my notes. Kelly's uh, shaking her head at me. Don't, don't go down the rabbit trail. Yeah. Uh, maybe we have conflict with our parents who, no matter how old we are, we are still their little boy or their little girl. Maybe someone has treated us unfairly and it causes conflict. Maybe we have treated someone else unfairly and that causes conflict. Maybe we've made false assumptions about one another and now we have conflict. Well, what do we do when we have conflict? One of the first things that we do, whether we're uh, conscious of it or not, is we, in our minds, trying to try to backtrack and work back through, how did we get in this conflict, right? Why are we here in this place? And we try to find out what caused us to be in the conflict in the first place. Well, this brings us to our first key Bible passage of the day, and we're going to refer to this passage a lot. It's in Matthew chapter 7. And you can go ahead and turn there in your Bible, Um, but it's coming up on the screen. Um, Like I said, you can turn in your copy of the Word of God if you have it with you. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to read verses 15 through 18, and Jesus is telling us in this passage that the fruit of a tree is a really great place to look if you want to know what's at the root of the tree. In other words, you can look at the fruit of a tree and really determine what kind of tree it is. So check it out. Matthew chapter 7 verses 15 to 18. He says, "Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Jesus is very right here, isn't he? Of course he is. He's Jesus. Uh, But you really can judge the fruit in order to reveal the root. You really can. And this is why we try to get to the roots of our problems. Uh, There's something at the root of this thing, including this thing of why we can't seem to get along with one another. Now, there's going to be a couple of truths coming up on the screen, and I want to really emphasize these this morning. You'll hear me hear me repeat them over and over. You can take a picture of them. You can write them down. If you're watching on your phone right now, take a screenshot. These are super important. First, uh, check this out. What we see as the root of the problem determines how we view that problem, how we view the other person, and how we deal with the problem between us and that person. I'm going to read it again. What we see as the root of the problem determines how we view the problem, how we view the other person, and how we deal with the problem between us and that person. That makes sense, doesn't it? Now, not only is this true on a personal level, but it's true at the larger level, larger scale as well. Remember how I said personal conflict, personal problems, bleed out into everything else, and that's true. There's a second thing coming up. Again, you want to take a picture or whatever, When an I in the conflict becomes an us, and the you in a conflict becomes a them, then a personal relational problem has now become an us versus them problem. I'm going to really get a hold of that. Let that sink in. When the I in a problem, conflict, becomes a we, and then the, the you in the problem becomes a they, We automatically have conflict and an us-versus-them situation. Do you see how that works? Man, if we could just get a hold of that this morning, I think that would be a great foundation for progress. (laughs) But I want to take it a few steps further because, like I said, we want to get to the roots of our problem. Now, many of you may remember this uh, world tree that I love to use, a worldview tree that refers uh, to how we view the world. And we see there that all ideas start at the root, and they move up out to the fruit. And ultimately, again, beginning at the root, they begin down with theology: what we think about God. Is God really there? Is God not there? You know, is is everything God, or is there a creator God who made everything else? And then that moves up to then what we uh, think anthropology: what is a human being? Right? What does it mean? to be a human being, and then that determines how we treat ourselves and one another in the area of ethics. And then, we okay, we've got to find a way to codify those into laws. We need a government to do that, and we've got to enforce those laws, but it all begins down in the area of theology. Is God there or is God not there? Our personal conflict things, again, are in the ethics area, and then we see those play out in politics and law and things like that. Now, remember Jesus's words about false prophets, because the same principle applies in our discussion of worldviews and, and how they play out in the bigger scale of things. It's so important, I want us to read Jesus's words again. Let's read it again. Matthew seven fifteen to 18, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but who inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits and are uh, grapes, gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And so as we look at this life question of why can't we get along today, let's do so by going, trying to get to the roots. Of, of that particular thing. And like I said, there are plenty of voices. And in our series, we've been comparing and contrasting these voices, answering these different questions with here are here's how atheism answers it, or postmodernism, or new spirituality answers these questions, versus how the gospel, the good news about Jesus, answers that question, and how a, a biblical Christian worldview answers that particular question. We've been looking at idea viruses and seeing. Uh, how they, sort of in the context of Jesus' words in this passage, in our worldview tree, that bad trees produce bad fruit. Diseased roots of a tree produce bad fruit on that tree. And the single most prominent voice to answering this question today of why can't we get along in our culture just happens to be a political one. And everybody went, right? We're tired of hearing about politics. Um, So today we will have a little bit of a political discussion. So there will be extra grace required, both in me being the speaker speaking to you, I need to show you extra grace, and you being the hearer need to give me extra grace as the speaker. There's no way we're going to be able to hit uh, everything that we should be able to talk about in here, uh, but I hope we can get to the roots and paint some good, accurate, broad pictures this morning. So don't let the idea of politics put you off, because remember, looking um, we're looking to identify false ideologies that are producing bad fruit in our own hearts, in our interpersonal relationships, and in the larger picture. So hang in there with me. We want to generate more light than heat, right? Uh, so we want to look at this issue, again, down at the roots. We want to look at it theologically so we can see it clearly and objectively. We want to look at it theologically so we can see it clearly and objectively. The answer in our culture, it's a political one, that is most uh, frequently used to answer this question and is increasingly becoming the consensus around us in answering this question, is given by the worldview of Marxism. Now that in itself is a statement that can cause conflict, I know, I know, and when I say the word uh, Marxism, I lost some of you. Hang in there with me, right? Let me show you why this is important this morning, and we're going to first look at what Marxism is, and then we're going to look at how it seeks to answer the question of why we can't seem to get along with one another. Uh, So this section coming up here is going to feel a little bit like a classroom instead of a worship gathering. I apologize, Uh, but this is super important to understand. I want to break things down little bit so we can get a good handle on it. Marxism is named after a guy named Karl Marx, who he, along with his friend Friedrich Engels, developed a particular um, system that makes claims about the world and how it works. Right? Notice what I said there. Marxism is a claim about reality and how the world works. That's what a philosophy is. It's a set of claims about reality and how the world So what is the philosophy of Marxism? You see it up there. Marxism divides the world, uh, says the world is divided into two classes, the workers and the richer capitalists who exploit the workers. Conflict between the classes is necessary, and and as the result, there would hopefully be a reversal where the workers own the means of production, which would then ultimately result in communism or a classless society. Now, this is clearly a very uh, economic kind of philosophy, but it's born out of an older philosophy called the dialectic by a guy named Hegel, who essentially says that opposites uh, need to be pitted against one another to achieve a utopian outcome. So the goal is to pit groups of people against one another, and there's a thesis and an antithesis, an antithesis, 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 and they go at it together, and ultimately... They balance each other out, one conquers the other, one conquers the other, and then eventually you achieve utopia. So Marxism, built on that idea and twisted it a bit, Marxism branches out into the whole of society. So we see this view of Marxism is an economic view about wealth and power, but it really shapes increasingly how people view all parts of life and human interaction in general. So think about it for a minute. I want you to look up on the screen. Isn't it true that most of our big discussions today, bring up that next slide, Georgiana, if you don't mind? Our discussions about things today that matter end up looking a lot like this they end up being about those not in power versus those in power, or the minority versus the majority, or the oppressed versus the oppressors. That's what we hear uh, in our language of the language of our culture today. So what we're really being taught, and I use that word on purpose, taught, is to see all people in two columns. Those not in power versus those in power. The minority versus the majority. The oppressed versus the oppressors. the oppressors. And you see that, that little phrase in the middle of each one of those groups? Versus. And what we're being taught to see people as, that the world is really... Um, two classes, that all people fall in one or the other of those columns, one or the other. And Marxism would say, if you are in power in any way, or if you are in any given majority, you are by default an oppressor. And therefore, those in one column are good people. Those in the other column are bad people by default. Does any of this sound familiar to you this morning? Doesn't it sound like the conversation of our society today? Now, I want you to pause and think with me for just a second. Put your thinking caps on. Can you see how this makes it impossible to actually get along? I mean, if you're by default an oppressor, what does it even mean to get along with you? If if, if you're automatically good, I can't criticize you. If I'm automatically evil, you can't say anything good about me, right? It's, conflict is, is necessary and unavoidable in this scenario. Um, we have truly irreconcilable differences if we're in groups that are all good or all bad. Um, and again, you notice that versus right in the middle. Irreconcilable differences is exactly what Karl Marx wanted. Because the the solution to irreconcilable differences is revolution. And Karl Marx wanted revolution. That's the end game of Marxism because revolution bring he thought would bring about utopia, tear the system down. It's a revolution. Well, what system? Every system. Right? The economic system, the law system, the church system, the family system. On Marxism, that's the only way to fix the oppression. So the goal is to get rid of oppression. That's a great goal, but his proposed solution is to tear down all the systems. Now you may think uh, you may have heard the word Marxism, and I'm talking about this guy named Hegel and uh, the dialectic, and it sounds like a philosophy class that you may have taken your first your freshman year in college or whatever, and that all of these things are sort of um, in the past. And you know, we learned about them in like uh, government. A civil government class or something like that. And, you know, we've seen kind of the terribly rotten fruit that uh, Marxism bears in countries throughout the world, you know, where it's instituted like the former Soviet Union or current Russia under Vladimir Putin or, you know, Joseph Stalin or in Venezuela or the People's Republic of China or North Korea or Cuba or Greece. You know, we've seen kind of the terrible fruit and the chaos that comes from, from revolution like that. And you would think that, you know, maybe you had it in your mind. We've seen that in history. We know it fails. And we've really, we, we will avoid that, that sort of thing. Um, you know, we've, we've seen where those who were rebelling and revolting against the oppressors actually become the oppressors. Um, Mark said, in fact, it was necessary for those who revolted against the oppression to become the oppressors. He says, uh, he called this thing uh, the revolutionary dictatorship of the proletariat. In other words, those who have been oppressed must, in a transition before you get to utopia, must become the oppressors. Again, you may think we've seen that type of fruit and that type of tree, and of course, we will avoid it. But we are actually seeing in our culture today a groundswell of this very voice seeking to answer the question of why can't we get along. Uh, Some of the major groups shaping our society these days are calling for these very things. So the the term Marxism um, isn't quite acceptable yet. And so the most uh, common and the newest sort of iteration of Marxism and seeking the answer to the question of why we can't get along is actually called critical theory. And in critical theory you see this very same thing of hurting people into groups. you're in this group, you're in that group and pitting those groups against one another. This is uh, the answer being given to our children in public education. It's being taught to us on the evening news. It's even being preached in many pulpits these days. Another specific example of how Marxism, is seeking to answer the question of why can't we get along in our modern context is with the founders of an organization we've all heard of called Black Lives Matter. These, uh, the founders of Black Lives Matter self-identify as, quote, trained Marxists, and they are literally calling for the tearing down of all societal structures, including the Bible-believing church and the nuclear family. Now, let me make a, a pause here. have a very clear aside. I'm not talking about the very real truth that black lives indeed matter. Of course, black lives matter. Black lives are made in the image of God. Their worth is intrinsic. Black lives have value because precisely they are made in the image of God. Worth is not uh, based on color of skin or anything else, but merely they are people, human beings, precious to God, made in His image. Of course, Black Lives Matter. I'm not talking about, though, and I'm not talking about someone who's posted a Black Lives Matter thing on their Facebook page or people who have even marched with Black Lives Matter. I'm not talking about those people necessarily. I'm, I'm talking about the Marxist founding and the clearly stated Marxist goals that are very active and predominant throughout the Black Lives Matter organization. So I hope that's a very clear distinction I'm making here today. And again, the reason I'm talking about them is because by their own self-identification, they are trained Marxists, who are indeed providing a Marxist explanation, an answer for this question of why can't we get along, and as the answer, they are pushing for a revolution as the cure. That's not an overstatement. Uh, if you want to talk with me later, I can show you the receipts of where they—this this is their, state, their stated goals— Um, The same sentiments are true in another organization uh, that's influencing our culture called Antifa, which is why you see uh, BLM and Antifa align so closely together in many instances. Now, Antifa means anti-fascism. I'm an anti-fascist, too. I think fascism is a horrible thing, and it's great to be anti-fascist. Now, and of course, we should all be anti-fascism, but they are also pro-Marxist, And that's important to understand, just like Joseph Stalin was anti-fascist when he helped us stop Hitler. He's also pro-Marxist. And Antifa wants a revolution too. In fact, just shortly after Joe Biden was elected, Antifa came out with a statement and said, we don't want peace. We want revolution. Right? So a lot of people were applauding that, you know, uh, Biden's in office, this is going to be a change of things, and we pray it's a change for the good, and Antifa says, we don't want that. We want revolution. Um, so the, their goals are, are very clearly stated. So here's what's taking place with these type of, of agitators, and, and they would call themselves the agitators. There are indeed very real uh, issues of racism in our, co- in our country. I hope we can all sadly acknowledge that. There are very real places in our various systems that are racist at their root and in their practice. I hope we all can acknowledge that. But these trained Marxists, these organizers behind BLM and Antifa movements, are looking to capitalize on and take advantage of the plight of real racism faced by black Americans and use it as sort of a Trojan horse to promote a broad-scale social revolution. That's what's, that's what's taking place. And while I'm being politically incorrect, let me, let me make a very a, a clear and important aside again. If you are putting people into classes and pitting those classes against one another for the purposes of revolution, it is evil no matter who's doing it. Whether you're burning down your neighbor's business and seeking revolution for the cause of Marxism or whether you're storming the Capitol and bashing in doors for the sake of advancing MAGA, they are both evil. You're following a worldview that is not founded in the gospel of Jesus Christ and will never, ever, ever lead to actual peace. We need to be very clear about that. Again, as I said before, history has shown the glaring failures of Marxist theory. You know, this herding people into groups and pitting this group against that group, and then hoping that revolution will solve the problem. So you can call it Marxism, anti fascism, critical theory, or whatever you want. It's ultimately the same thing. They're branches on the same tree, as it were. They are the same Marxist roots, and they operate under the same key tenets. Of Marxism. So, why is Marxism so bad? Let's look at the worldview tree again. That'll be coming up. Again, down at the roots, down in theology, Marxism is founded on an atheistic view of God. There's no God. And then it's founded on a materialistic view of humanity. We are only matter in motion, we are chemicals fizzing around each other, and that's it. So, Marxism has misidentified the very roots of all reality it denies that God is really there. It denies that you are really people who are valuable intrinsically created in the image of God, and therefore we shouldn't harm one another, right? You are just chemicals fizzing. And so because it, Marxism misidentifies the core roots of reality, it cannot possibly properly diagnose our problem of why we can't get along, let alone provide the accurate cure for why we can't get along. So just So we're sure uh, to identify the anti-God root uh, that's very clearly at Marxism. I want you to hear it summed up by its founders, Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels themselves. When Friedrich Engels uh, heard that some Christians were using Acts chapter 2 to promote socialism, which ultimately leads to communism, he wrote against uh, kind of uh, joining the two. He said this. This is from Friedrich Engels, the the co-author of the Communist Manifesto, in case you don't know who that is. He says, these good people are not the best Christians. Although they style themselves so, because if they were, they would know the Bible better and find that if some few passages of the Bible may be favorable to communism, the general spirit of its doctrines is nevertheless totally opposed to it. So what you are hearing, these are not my words. These are (laughs) Frederick Engels, the co-author of the Communist Manifesto with Karl Marx, is saying that the Bible is totally opposed to their philosophy. Karl Marx said quite a bit to reveal the roots of his ideology himself. Not only is Marx famous for saying that religion is the opiate of the masses, right? It lulls us to sleep and makes us stupid, essentially. Um, But he said a lot more. It's coming up on the screen. He says, The abolition of religion as the illusory happiness of the people. Let's pause there. He's saying religion is the illusory happiness of the people. It's an illusion, needs to be abolished. He says, is the demand for their real happiness? To call on them to give up their illusions, religion, about their condition is to call on them to give up a condition that requires illusions. In other words, to believe religion, you've got to be delusional because it's an illusion. And if we really want to set people free, we have to abolish religion. That's Karl Marx. And finally, let me show you another thing that he said here. This is the the closing of the Communist Manifesto. I wish to avenge myself against the one who rules above. The idea of God is the keynote of a perverted civilization. It must be destroyed. My object in life is to dethrone God and destroy capitalism. Is that clear? We see the roots. See the very clear roots. This rotten tree can only bear rotten fruit. It has throughout history, and it's beginning to do the same in our present day. We've got to recognize it. We've got to call it what it is, and we have to reject it. This concept of us versus them, the revolutionary voice from various segments in our culture is spreading a false idea about who we are. It's spreading a false solution to this problem of why can't we get along. It's actually driving the wedge deeper between us as human beings. And increasingly, even as people of God in the church. So what is the answer to the question of why can't we get along? I think a great thing to do is hear from Jesus again. This time in Mark chapter 7. We'll look at verses 21 through 23. Mark chapter 7, 21 to 23. Jesus says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Jesus is saying our primary problem is internal. We are broken people, every one of us. We do evil. I have looked in the mirror and seen my own worst enemy, and so have you. Our problem is both in here and out there, but even the problems out there are a result of the evil that's in here, inside the human heart. As the old saying goes, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart, and only Jesus can fix the human heart. So listen to God's words, man. I want us to look at God's words to the rebellious nation of Israel because I believe that these words apply to us as well. It's from Ezekiel. It's come Ezekiel 36. It'll be up on the screen. You don't have to turn there right now. I believe the same principle, same principle applies to us. God says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What causes us to walk in God's statutes and obey his rules? A revolution in our hearts born of the spirit of God. And I've said it before, man, when we reject the rules of God, we don't get freedom. We get the rules of mankind, and those are the worst kinds of chains. This new root that God offers to graft us into. We were once rooted in the kingdom of darkness. He now offers to grant us to be rooted in the kingdom of light of the Lord Jesus. And he moves us then to see other human beings as we really are, not as in us versus them. But as a me when confronted by my own sin, and as a we in working together to love one another as we really should, to seek true justice, to love true mercy, and to walk humbly before the true and living God. That's what God wants to do in our hearts and wants to do in our culture around us. So let me end with this. You know, the early church had division among itself as well. They would have been asking this same question why can't we get along? Right? Now, in their context, It had arisen in their midst because Jewish people were in an us versus them situation against non-Jewish people. And in Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul reminds them that because we can know the Lord Jesus has torn down the dividing line between us and God, by the same act of Jesus tearing down the dividing line, uh, of between us and God by what he did on the cross, because we know that's true, we know that Jesus in that very same act on the cross was tearing down the dividing line between us and one another, then we can answer the question, have a real solution to why can't we get along. Ephesians chapter two, eleven to 22. Let's close by reading it together. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a, into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Praise the Lord. God wants to indwell us individually. He wants to revolutionize our hearts. He wants to uh, dwell among us as a people. And he wants to revolutionize us from the inside out for his glory and our good. Amen? Let's pray. And Pastor James is going to come lead us in remembering what Jesus did to purchase our forgiveness. Lord, thank you for your grace to us. You are so incredibly kind. Thank you that it is your mercy that leads us to repentance. Both repentance to you, God, and then subsequently to that, and because of that, repentance to one another. Lord, you're calling us to be one people, one body, one family in Jesus' name. Lord, help us to remember the gospel that we are sinners. We look in the mirror and see sinners. We look at the person across from us and see sinners. But we look at the face of Jesus and see the Savior, Help us to turn to him today, in Christ's name.